Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. You're listening to episode 37 of the Lean Blog Podcast for March 3rd, 2008. Our guest today is Professor Jeffrey Liker from the University of Michigan, and he is co-author most recently of the new book, Toyota Culture. And that's what we're going to be talking about here today, the first of a three-part discussion that I'm going to release here on the podcast. I hope you'll come back uh, for the future parts two and three in upcoming weeks. Uh, as always, if you want to learn more about the podcast, listen to other episodes, or comment on a specific podcast episode, you can do so by visiting www.leanpodcast.org, and that'll forward you to the Lean blog page specifically for the podcast. So as always, thanks for listening. Well, Jeff, thanks for joining us uh, once again on the Lean blog podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here with us. Good talking to you again, Mark. Well, thanks. So we're here today to talk about um, your, your new book, Toyota Culture, and I was wondering if you could um, give our listeners an overview of um, you know, what people should expect to get out of um, this book and you know, how, how it builds on some of your previous works. Well, in the Toyota way, uh, I had developed a four-level model, the 4P model, I called it, and the bottom was philosophy, which is long-term thinking. I spent a fair amount of time talking about processes, which are the, the lean processes, the technical processes to get to what is the underlying assumption, what is the uh, principle behind those tools like Andon and Kanban. Then I talked about how Toyota develops people and partners and leaders, and then we talked about uh, I talked about problem solving and uh, some of the ways that they look at problem solving. There are 14 principles in total and a number of case examples, and when you all boil it, when you boil it all down for a given topic, like talking about culture and people, I could only f- afford to have uh, a chapter, and I realized that uh, that wasn't enough. That the uh, the the people part is uh, is so important and so foundational, and uh, that it really deserves a lot more attention. And in fact, a whole book just on that. I didn't know how long the book would be, but. Uh, but I knew that there was more to say. And also, uh, under, aside from pulling out the people part of the four Ps, underlying all the 14 principles are cultural assumptions. And uh, I kind of talked about them in the total way, but at a high level. Uh, but I wanted to get deeper into what are really the cultural assumptions, how do these reflect uh, East versus West differences, how do they reflect the unique history of Toyota, and then at uh, a higher level, what are the actual policies and procedures for human resources that uh, support that culture and how has that been brought over to the United States? It turned out by the time we were done, we had a 550-page book and probably uh, uh, 10 or 15 pages overlap with the Twitter way and you know, 530 or 40 pages are, are all unique, so there's we were right that, that there was a lot more to say. I did the book with Mike Hoseas, who was a assembly plant manager and human resource manager for the Georgetown plant and spent time learning the human resource system in Japan. And he added an awful lot to uh, to my knowledge of, of uh, how all the pieces fit together. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like it would be quite a challenge to try to distill this, this idea of culture in, in, into a book. I mean, can you tell us a little bit 
uh, about the process? Uh, some, you spent a lot of time well, the, directly observing. Yeah, it was and, tough. And the Tetawai itself was, was a challenge. Uh, and people in Toyota were saying, you know, if you want to write about the Tetawai, that's fine, but, I'm, but I don't know how you can really capture that in a book because it's really who we are. Toyota culture is even more so. It's even more who they are, and it's even more difficult to capture. Uh, so I had uh, been clear from the beginning that we really need to bring it to life with stories. And the way I worked with Mike is Mike Hoseas lived it for 12 years, and he's still living, and he's still supporting Toyota. And he was there every day, and I have a higher-level conceptual view, so we had to marry my sociological background and uh, and outside view of Toyota with uh, Mike's daily living as well as he's down at the plant now every day so he could walk in and when we had a question, ask somebody or get some document. So it was a combination of that. Of uh, we, we focused a lot on the Toyota Georgetown plant because he had access and because we really needed uh, deep stories. As an example, uh, in the Toyota field book, we talked a lot about the structure of the work team, and there's a lot of people interested in what a team leader does and what a group leader does and what a system manager does. And we had uh, roles and responsibilities and a five-page table that detailed a day in the life of what they do when they first come into uh, the plant. Uh, we didn't want to repeat that. That was the structure. But So instead, we uh, found some uh, team leaders and had them write a day in the life of an actual day, you know, what actually happens when they come in and when they have some problems, how to respond to that. And they're on the line, but they need to solve problems and they need help from other people and how they get that help. And they're going to shut down the assembly line and how do they respond to that and how do people pull together as a team. And from that story, you really get a, a feeling for the culture that you don't get by listing roles and responsibilities in a structural way. We have, have So the book is filled with stories and vignettes and then analyzing what, what do those mean from a cultural point of view. Yeah. So, so stories that help illustrate, um, for example, I mean, people might hear that this Toyota Way principle of respect for people and the mask, okay, so what, what does that mean? Give me some examples right. of interacting right. with people in that way. Right, yeah, that's true. Now, despite respect for people, we, I didn't, I didn't think it was it made sense to base this book on, on my 4P model uh, because this was Toyota culture. I wanted to use Toyota's model, and so we we use the foundation their model, which is respect for people and continuous improvement. Those two things are the the, the pillars of the Toyota way from Toyota's point of view, and uh, those get I think that throughout the whole book it, you start to get a clear picture of what it means to have respect for people and what it means to continuously improve and how those two are so interrelated. So there isn't like a chapter or a case example on respect for people. It's coming through throughout the whole book. Mm -hmm. um, well, you talk about this um, earlier in the book, the, the idea that you know, a lot of companies are going about lean, implementing lean um, the wrong way, that they're, they're, they're not focusing on, on the culture and and the, the the people side. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the the, the importance and, and maybe the challenge of, of trying to emulate or learn from Toyota in that way. Well, first of all, uh, the let me uh, explain the model that underlies the book because we developed a model 
a human systems model, and the whole book is is uh, based on that model. Every chapter comes from a, a box or a circle in that model. And what we put in the center of the model we call the quality people value stream. And the output of that is quality people working together with shared Toyota values to continuously improve, which leads to the purpose of long-term mutual prosperity. Uh, and the value we looked at that value stream much like people map a physical process, like the product comes into the supplier and it sits in inventory and it moves to a machine and it sits in inventory. And we looked at what happens to the person where they come in and uh, essentially they get a little bit of training and then they sit in inventory and maybe get another bit of training. And most of their uh, their career, from the point of view of learning, they're sitting in inventory. There's waste. And there's actually very little time where they're being developed. Uh, in Toyota, there's a conscious attempt. There's, there's conscious systems for developing people. And, in fact, the main role of uh, managers from the team leader, the group leader, to the system manager is to develop people. So in this, this uh, quality people value stream, we have attracting people so they're trainable, then developing people so they're able, then engaging people so that they're performing and problem-solving, and then inspiring people so they're committed to Toyota. They're, they're part of the, the enterprise. They're part of the social system. They're uh, representing Toyota out in the public. And then they're practicing the Toyota way every day through Plan, Do, Check, Act. So that value stream is really the core, and then that's supported by specific human resource processes like commitment to stable employment and the tools needed for stable employment. And it's also uh, supported by daily management systems, uh, two-way communication and the work group structure and the uh, way leaders are trained to teach uh, rather than to order people around. So that we go through the core value stream and then the formal human resource processes and then the daily management processes and illustrate these at Georgetown. The Georgetown plant never set out to imitate Toyota culture. They didn't say, we're part of Toyota, and let's go and look at what they're doing in Japan, and let's try to imitate Toyota in Japan. They said, we have to uh, support the principles of respect for people and continuous improvement, and there are some things that are given that we know are true, that have to be true in the system, one of which is that people have to feel safe about surfacing and admitting that there's a problem. Otherwise, we can't uh, solve problems and, and the Toyota production system falls apart. So that wasn't optional. They didn't say, well, if you want to create a safe environment where people are willing to admit problems, that's fine. If you don't because it doesn't fit America, don't worry about it. That was a given. There was, so there were a bunch of things like that that were givens. But they didn't say you have to dress like you're Japanese or eat like you're Japanese or uh, or even that uh, you can't have any individuality uh, or that you uh, have to pay everybody exactly the same as we do in Japan or reward people in the same way. So the uh, Georgetown, Kentucky experience was really one of the first experiments, and they were learning as they went how to combine uh, Western uh, Americans in Kentucky, and that's a pretty American place, with uh, the uh, principles of the Toyota Way coming from Japan. And I think every company needs to do that. They need to, uh, they can't just implement the Toyota culture. They can't simply change their culture. They have to build on their culture, and they have to start taking seriously the idea of developing people who who are committed to and, and live the culture. 
and that's this people value stream. And it takes time for Toyota. It easily takes five to ten years to develop somebody so that they fit in and understand the Toyota way. Uh, I think the biggest problem with our companies is that they would like to do it in a five-day course. <laughs> yeah, so, so you know, we have some statements in the book that sound a little bit sarcastic, like you know, maybe the Toyota is just slow. And you know it takes them ten years, but we're Americans, so we can do it in five days. <laughs> right. But uh, on the other hand, Toyota's doing this in the ideal environment where they have complete alignment at the top of the company, and they already have the culture, and they already have the tools and the processes. And even in that case, it takes them five to ten years. So why would we be so arrogant to think that we can do it in five or ten days? Yeah. And it it, it seems like some of those um, ideas of uh, Develop, teaching managers how to operate in a different way, um, supporting people in, in, instead of giving orders, like, like you said. Is that something that is probably considered uh, a non-negotiable? I know that's one thing. You yeah, know, those are non-negotiable. Yeah. And uh, the uh, idea that uh, a manager is a teacher, that's non-negotiable. And uh, creating, doing everything you can to create job security for people is non-negotiable. So some so purchasing guy in America saying, hey, I can get a deal on this part by moving to India or China and save 30%. Uh, it'll require uh, shutting down one of our suppliers in America. That's not, that's not allowed. That's not permitted. The, the, the response to the Japanese teacher and still the Japanese play that role of being the, the, the sensei, the senior teachers, you know, they would ask, uh, you know, if you do this, what message will it send to all the rest of our suppliers who we've been claiming are partners in America? And isn't there, what is the real problem? Isn't there a way to solve the problem that does not involve going to, shutting down a supplier in, in America? So they would uh, see that solution of going to China or India as being uh, an easy, quick fix without really studying the problem and without really seriously considering alternatives. And they that's what they're, one of the things they're trying to teach is problem solving, is really thinking through the problem for, and, all its imp, and all the implications of solutions and then being very thoughtful about your solutions. And, and sometimes the solutions require a lot more work than something as simple as we drop a supplier here and shift the work to China. Yeah. So, you know, early in the book, you, you tell a similar story. Um, you know, I, I assume there's some companies that, that like to say, you know, we're quote-unquote doing lean, whatever that means. Or, you know, you right. tell the story of one company that even said they wanted Toyota's culture, but it's right. not like they were making a lot of decisions that run counter to maybe some of the things you were describing. So, I mean, what... Yeah, I mean, what's your advice to say, well, it's just, okay, quit fooling yourselves and give up, or what? No, I think you should quit <laughs> fooling yourself and start working on it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, st- quit fooling yourself that, A, you're pretty close anyway, and B, uh, it, this is going to happen really fast, and uh, C, that this is simply a matter of changing a few policies and moving a few machines around. Uh, you know, if you're serious and you and you get the message that there's a a different way of thinking that Toyota represents, 
that leads them to be a learning organization, continuously improving, and it requires long-term thinking. It requires managers to become more reflective and more teachers than than orders. Uh, it requires uh, deep learning on the shop floor at every level, which takes time. Then, for example, you might say, let's pick a few things that we're going to work on for this year and really drive those deeply and learn from those and reflect on those. And then we'll pick a few more things next year and a few more things the year after that. And maybe we need to focus in a few areas uh, instead of spreading this wall to wall. Uh, so part of the problem is that when you think that this is a simple technical toolkit or a people toolkit, you know, you can change the technical system through Kanban or cells, or you can change the people through uh, some sort of training program. When you think of it that way, then you then you you uh, assume that this is. Uh, something that can be done to the people or the process very quickly and across the board. So a senior manager will order, I want Kanban every place. You got to the end of the year. Or when can we get this cultural change stuff done? You know, can we have everybody thinking differently by the end of the year? And the uh, senior managers who are making those uh, kinds of, uh, who are giving those orders themselves, they're the ones that need to be changed first. Yeah. Right. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.